Father in heaven, we thank you for your word and for the truth that is found in it. We ask, God, that you would speak to us this morning, that you, Father, would teach us from your word. God, nobody has gathered together today to hear the foolish ramblings of some silly preacher. God, we've gathered together so that we might study your word, so that we might hear from you, the high king of heaven. So, Holy Spirit, would you please move through the reading, through the teaching, through the proclamation of your holy word. Spirit, we ask that you would bring us comfort and strength, that you would encourage us, that you would challenge us, that you would motivate us, that you would convict us. All this is possible by you moving through the reading of your word. We ask these things as humbly as we know how, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to you, God, our Father in heaven. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bible with you, I encourage you to take it and turn with me once again to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians. We are returning to our sermon series, looking through 1 Thessalonians. You'll hit the New Testament. You'll go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then Acts and Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians, the General Electric Power Cooperative, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and then you find your way to 1 Thessalonians. Thessalonians. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, feel free to borrow one from the back of the pew that's there in front of you. If you don't own your own copy of God's Word, please take one of those Bibles with you and we will gladly replenish it and just let that be our gift to you. Um, And if you are accessing the Word in a print form or if it's digital or if you're following along on the screen, however you might be accessing the Word of the Lord, I would ask if you're physically able, would you please stand out of reverence For the public reading of God's holy word. As we look together at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We'll be reading verses 1 through 12. I'll read for us when I complete this reading. I'll say this is the word of the Lord. I encourage you to respond with a hearty thanks be to God. The word of the Lord says. Finally then brothers. We ask and urge you. In the Lord Jesus. That as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you're doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Not in the passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God. That no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. Because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God who gives His Holy Spirit to you. Now, concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly, and to mind your own affairs 
and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So many of Paul's letters are so easy to follow in their structure, and 1 Thessalonians is no exception. We looked at the first, second, and third chapters, and all of those chapters are filled with great, lofty theological ideas, greetings, affirmations, gratitudes, wonderful, great things that Paul has to say to the church at Thessalonica. Even going so far as to say that the church themselves, that the members of the church are his, Paul's, glory and joy. He celebrates them. Well, after that statement of saying his glory, his joy in life is the church at Thessalonica, those believers, after saying that, he makes this transition statement. And it's a simple phrase in Greek, but it's translated as finally. Sometimes you'll see it as therefore. And then he'll say later in successive verses, now about this or now concerning that. What's going to happen, as we've just read, is from the beginning of chapter 4 through the end of the letter, Paul is going to, like popcorn, be shooting off simple little instructions. Sometimes they'll be a little bit longer. Sometimes they'll be a little bit shorter. But as we work our way through, we'll see that Paul says over and over again, now concerning this or now about that. So the first couple of verses introduce this section that begins Paul applying all the things that he said to the church at Thessalonica and to us today. But then when he hits verse 3, he has a specific section on sexual morality. Then he moves on to love for others in verses 9 through 12. Then what we'll move into next week is verses 13 through 18, those who have fallen asleep. And then verse uh, verse 1 of chapter 5, Through verse 11, he talks about times and dates. And then you get to the very end of 1 Thessalonians. And this is where Paul hits all those high notes like pray without ceasing and boom, boom, boom. I mean, several little quick do this, do this, do this. This is going to be very application heavy. And I love when I reach a section of scripture like this that is so easy to just pick up and apply to my own life. There doesn't have to be any theological uh, acrobatics or gymnastics to make something make sense. It is straightforward. Here is instruction for us on how to live. One of the things that is encouraging to me is that Paul has instructed the the Thessalonians on how they ought to walk and how to please God. So... If you're wondering today, if you came this morning and you're starting off year 2022 and you're thinking, how can I please God in 2022? Well, here is the answer. Here's a simple, straightforward formula. Paul says, here is how to please God. Here is how we ought to walk. He says, you're already doing it, but you got to do it more and more. That more and more showed up two different times in the passage that we read this morning. And it is a huge encouragement to me. The more and more showing up twice means that you're not going to arrive. The Thessalonians were already doing these things pretty good. Paul is complimenting them that they had a good walk spiritually. But he says that you have to do these things more and more. So you could see that as discouraging 
as you could run this race and never arrive, or you could see it as encouraging. Depending on how you look at it, you might look at that and go, hey, I'm not going to get there. I am a work in progress, and I will be a work in progress until the day I die. And so were all the Thessalonians, and so were all the Christians that read this letter for the last 2,000 years. Be encouraged that there is always more growth to be done in our spiritual walk. Even if we get to that place where we feel like we've got everything figured out and we are at the epitome of our faith and maturity in Christ, there is still more and more that we can do that in which we can grow. And that's Paul's encouragement to the Thessalonians. This is how you ought to walk. This is how you ought to please the Lord. So he wants what God's will is for them. He wants to describe the will of God to the Thessalonians. And so the will of God is your sanctification. That's simple. Has anybody ever asked that question before? What is the will of God for my life? What does God will for me to do? What's God's perfect will? How can I find out if I am in the middle of God's perfect will? Well, let's go to Scripture and let's see what Scripture says about what God's will for your life and my life is. If you believe in the Lord Jesus, this is God's will for your life, your sanctification. There you go. Pretty easy, right? Pretty straightforward. Okay, I mean, I mean, that's that's great. That's great. But like, you know, what about choosing where I'm going to live? That's that's awesome. Let me tell you what God's will for your life is on where you should live. And let's see. Verse three. This is the will of God. Your sanctification. There you go. So if you want to know where you ought to live, God's will for where you should live, your sanctification. If you want to know God's will for where you should work. Your sanctification. Yep, there's your answer. If you want to know God's will for where you should go to college, once again, your sanctification. What Paul is teaching us in this passage is something that is absolutely antithetical to who we are today in 2022. For the last 50 to 70 years, people have been absolutely obsessed with God's will for our lives. But it's only about a 50 to 70 year obsession. In all of church history, you go back to the early church fathers, to the people who are closest to when Jesus lived and walked on this earth, and you don't find writings about how to determine God's will for your life. It's something that for some reason today in modern society we are obsessed with, but for Almost 2,000 years, for a good 18, 1,900 years, nobody really thought about. Do you know why nobody thought about it? Because what the Bible teaches us consistently, especially in this passage, is that God cares a lot more about who you are than where you go. The example I'd love to give is that a lot of times there have been students in my life that have asked me, Pastor, how do I figure out where to go to college? And I I usually respond something like this. You're asking the wrong question. God doesn't care as much about where you go to college as he does about who you are while you're at college. God cares where you go to college. Don't disregard that and say it's unimportant. But what is most important to God is our sanctification, our holiness. The process of being more and more set apart from this world. That's what he means by our sanctification. 
God's will for our life is that the more we live, the more and more we are set apart from this world and the way this world acts. We are more and more set apart from, sanctified from our sin. And so when we want to know what God's will for our life is, God's will for our life is that we be holy like he is holy. Well, okay, but where should I work? God cares a lot more about who you are at your job than where you work. I'm not saying God doesn't care where you work. Don't mishear me. But what I am saying is that Scripture teaches us that God's will for our life is that no matter where we work or don't work, no matter who we marry or don't marry, God is much more concerned with who we are than where we are. God is much more concerned with the kind of spouse you are going to be than with who exactly you are going to marry. God is much more concerned with how you're going to be a parent than how many kids you're going to have. Does this make sense? God's will for our life is our sanctification. In Greek, you can also translate this exact word sanctification as holiness. So as the Thessalonians are trying to wrestle through these questions, some of them have stopped working and are looking for the Lord Jesus to come back. And so they're not doing anything. And Paul's saying your holiness, your sanctification is what God's will is for you. Stop sitting around doing nothing, worrying about what you're supposed to be doing and focus on being who God has called you to be, to be holy wherever you work, to be holy, whoever you marry, to be holy, regardless of anything and everything else in your life, wherever you go, whatever you do, God is calling us and God's will for us is to be holy as he is holy. But remember, we're never going to get there more and more, more and more. So today to be a little bit more holy than you were yesterday and, and maybe yesterday you messed up. Maybe 2021, you messed up. 2022 is still another opportunity to follow this mandate and to look more and more like Jesus. Look more and more like this word describes and less and less like the world. Is that required for salvation? No. You don't have to work and get better so that you can be saved. It's just the opposite. Jesus died We believe and put our faith in the fact that Jesus died and was raised from the dead. And so our lives begin to look different. I've explained it this way many times, and it's my favorite way that Jason Gunter taught me that when we believe in Jesus, we are justified. So we are freed from the penalty of sin. Before we believe in Jesus, there is a penalty that is eternal separation from Jesus Christ, from the very presence of God's goodness. And if we do not trust in Jesus, that penalty remains. But the moment we trust in Jesus, that penalty is removed. And then... As we live for Christ, we are sanctified. And day by day, the power of sin grows less and less over us. We're freed from the penalty of sin. Then we are freed throughout our life from the power of sin. And then when we die and we meet Jesus face to face, if we believe in Him, then we'll be freed from the very presence of 
sin. Can you imagine Christmas get-togethers where there is no sin present, where there is no jealousy, there is no coveting, there is no backbiting, there is no infighting among your family, that it is a perfect, harmonious get-together because nobody has feeling sin tug at their heart and make them have these awful negative thoughts and emotions. That's heaven. That's paradise. And Jesus is there, which Jesus is paradise. You get double paradise. But we won't be freed from the presence of sin until we stand face to face with Jesus. So more and more we are called to be freed from the power of sin, to be sanctified, to be holy. God cares a lot about our holiness. And now for the Thessalonians, there was a specific act. There was a specific exception to what Paul wanted us to know. He said he wants them in their sanctification to abstain from sexual immorality. So as they get more and more like Jesus, they need to look less and less like the culture around them when it comes to physical intimacy. And really, this pagan culture let a lot of things slide. Most marriages were kind of open marriages. You know, there were those kind of marriages where you could go to a party together and everybody puts their keys in a bowl. That kind of marriage, it's uh, not a pretty picture. That's how they lived. And really, women had an unfair burden laid upon them in comparison with the men because they wanted to make sure that the children that the women gave birth to were legitimate children from their husband. Bloodlines were very important. And so women were held to a higher standard of fidelity, a higher standard of faithfulness, a higher standard of modesty. But as far as men were concerned, they kind of just did whatever they wanted to, whether they were married or not. So I know that we live in a world that resembles what they were living in in Thessalonica. And maybe even more so today. But, but here's the biggest problem. Is what we've done is we've taken this one word that Paul uses at the end of verse 3. Sexual immorality. The Greek word is porneia. That word means every kind of sexual immorality. Every single kind. And you might be thinking, well... Pastor, what, what kind of sexual immorality? Like, what do you mean when you say that? Any kind of physical intimacy that happens outside the context of one man married to one woman is sexual immorality. That's what that word describes. So if there is some sort of physical intimacy between two people of the same gender, if there is some sort of physical intimacy among you by yourself to yourself in the dark corners of your room looking at things you shouldn't be looking at, that is sexual immorality. It is sexual immorality if it is you and another man who is not your husband. It is sexual immorality if it is you and another woman who's not your wife. That's what that word encompasses. The ethic of purity that is described in Scripture is that physical intimacy is a blessing. It is a gift. It is supposed to be fun. It is supposed to be enjoyed. But it is supposed to exist within the confines of one man and one woman married in covenant with one another. Anything outside of that, before or after or during that union is prohibited in Scripture. That's what this word describes. And through the years, man, we have loved in the church to harp on different specific aspects of what this word means. But the word means all of it. 
The word means all of it. Does it mean there's no forgiveness for people who fall into this kind of sin? By no means. Romans 8 says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is forgiveness for any and every sin other than rejecting Jesus Christ as Lord. That's the only thing that's unforgivable. If you die in a state of rejecting Jesus as the Master, the Savior, and the Lord, then everything other than that state of being is forgivable. I'm not throwing stones here, but man, we have loved to throw stones at one another over sexual immorality. Man, when somebody messes up and their marriage is falling apart, we don't run to them to forgive them and help them. We run from them as they are a problem. I don't know what happened, but Paul is commanding these Thessalonians to abstain from sexual immorality, but he doesn't say to run from people who are struggling with it. He knows that it's a struggle and that they need to get better at it more and more and more. Listen, sometimes we expect for people to be completely different the next day. I've known people who have given their lives over to the Lord and they cussed like a sailor. And they had the most foul mouth of anybody that you've heard. And it didn't happen overnight that they never said bad words. Some of them still say bad words. God forbid. How could you be a Christian and a bad word ever slide out of your mouth? we got to get better more and more. It says start from where you are and get more holy. Be more sanctified. Look more like Jesus. It doesn't say you are Jesus. It doesn't say you're going to be like Jesus until we're in His presence. But man, we cast stones at one another for whatever sin we don't struggle with. Let me tell you, in high school, I didn't have a problem struggling with porneia in the sexual immorality sense of girls fighting to get to me. Okay, this face was not the ideal high school hunk of a face. I was not fighting the girls off. I didn't struggle with saying, no, we must not be intimate outside of marriage because I'm committed to the Lord. I don't even know what I would have said in that situation because that situation never happened to me, okay? I was that teenager. When you declare at 15 years old that you want to go into ministry, and then at 16 you say, I think I may even be supposed to be a missionary, that is the ultimate attraction for ladies. Let me just tell you, everybody wants to come and go on a date with the guy who's about to be a missionary. No, not a soul. Not a soul. It took the Lord Jesus calling my wife, to be a minister's wife before she'd be willing to go on a date with me, okay? That's how rough it is. God had to get involved. But some of y'all, we have a lot of handsome young men, handsome young women. That might be your struggle. I struggled in different ways. But I'm not going to throw stones at some of our young teenagers who are trying and fighting for purity and struggling against that sin and getting better more and more, day by day. The time that we move to Strong action is when they're no longer in the fight. When somebody's no longer fighting for purity, they're not living up to these words. Control your own body in holiness and in honor. Don't, Don't be consumed by the passion of lust like all the Gentiles because they don't know God. But you know God. You're better than that. So, abstain from sexual immorality. That's part of God's will for our lives. That's part of our holiness, part of our sanctification. Verse 7, God didn't call us to be impure. God called us to be holy. I haven't called you in impurity, but in holiness. If you disregard this teaching, 
You don't disregard some preacher standing up here. You disregard God who gives you His Holy Spirit. It's not like God says, you got to be holy. Figure it out. He says, you got to be holy. Here's my Holy Spirit. Lean on my Holy Spirit. And my Holy Spirit will make you holy. He gives the Holy Spirit to us. And if we disregard this, we're disregarding God. We're disregarding His Holy Spirit. We're disregarding what is simple and plain and straightforward to us. Let us spend 2022 becoming more and more holy. Being more and more set apart. More and more sanctified. Listen, the Thessalonians had other strengths concerning brotherly love. You don't need anybody to write anything to you. Look at verse 9. You guys have brotherly love licked. You guys are the most loving and kind people to one another. The problem is you're just a little too loving and too kind to one another. You get a little handsy with your brotherly love, okay? Back the brotherly love down just a little bit. Abstain from sexual immorality, but keep doing what you're doing when it comes to brotherly love. Even in Paul's correction of the Thessalonians, he says, you're doing good here, you need work here. How often are we that honest with people? How often do we allow ourselves to be held accountable in those ways? If this letter were written to Bethany Baptist Church and I were to stand up and I were to say, abstain from sexual immorality, before I could even get to, hey, we're doing great on brotherly love, there'd be some people who'd get mad and storm out the back door. How dare he say that to me? But it's the call. Be holy. Preserve and reserve Physical intimacy for one man and one woman in a covenant bond of marriage together. Till death do us part. Now, concerning brotherly love, they got it. They got it figured out. In verse 11, man, I, I, I just I need to have verse 11 like on my computer screen, on my doorpost, in my dashboard. What do I do in my life? Be holy. Here's what else you do. Here's how else to please God. How else we ought to walk. Aspire to live quietly. To mind your own affairs. To work with your hands. So that you may walk properly before outsiders. and Be dependent on no one. How straightforward is that? How many of us live quietly? Mind our own affairs? Boy, howdy. Social media, we can see what everybody's doing. And there's this little section on every social media platform that allows for us to comment on other people's lives. It's like it's inviting us to say something. Like, here's a picture of me and my family. Oh my gosh, y'all look so beautiful. That's just so great. Oh, that's just wonderful. And then when we finish writing our little sweet comment, we go, how come we never do anything like that? Do you see how perfect our kids are in that picture? Our kids never act like that. I just don't understand. What's wrong with my life? How come their life's so good? Mind your own affairs. Biblical. I'm just quoting scripture. Mind your own beeswax. Stop looking at everybody else's lives. Stop getting all meddling in everybody's affairs. Live quietly. You don't need all that. You don't need Facebook. You don't need Snapchat. You don't need all of it. You don't. You can live a happy, content life. 
Because let me tell you, if you live on Facebook, if you live on Instagram, people are dissecting and diagnosing every single picture you put out there because nobody knows how to live quietly and mind our own affairs. You put a picture on Instagram of you without your spouse and everybody's going to be going, are they mad at each other? Is everything okay? What do you think? Do you think they're still together? Is there trouble in their household? You put a picture out there with two of your three kids. What happened to their third kid? I wonder if he's sick. Do you think they've got COVID? Oh, we hung out with them last night. What if they've got a stomach bug? Oh, I hate stomach bugs. It's a picture. We just wrote a whole book about one picture. Mind our own affairs. Live quietly. Work with our hands. We should look different than everybody else in our culture around us. If we're minding our own affairs, if we're living quietly, if we're striving to be holy, if we're filled with brotherly love and abstaining from sexual immorality, people are going to notice us. We're going to stand out to the culture. Hey, but are you going to be perfect at it? No. We've got to get better. More and more. More and more. Strive for holiness. Man, this just seems like so much work, Pastor. Like, I just feel like I'm a terrible person now. I just feel like I'm never going to get there. I can't do it. Hey, I got good news. God gives us His Holy Spirit. All the power that we need to do this. God doesn't say, go run a marathon and leave us alone. He says, go run a marathon and gives us the strength to do it. He empowers us with His Spirit. This morning, do you want to start off 2022 empowered by God's Spirit? He's not trying to withhold it from you. Do you want to set goals and actually meet them? And then, you know, in February, maybe beginning of March, you look back and you go, I, I am more holy than I was. Folks, you can do that. But it's God that's going to do it in you and through you. You have to rely on His Holy Spirit and He gives it freely. The Holy Spirit will fill you and move in you and through you. That's the only way any of this is possible. To be filled with the Spirit and not consumed with passion and lust. So let's start 2022 Seeking out God's Holy Spirit. Asking God to make us more and more holy this year. And by all means, if you came this morning and you've never trusted in Jesus, you can't have God's Holy Spirit until you surrender your life to God. Until you trust in Jesus. Until you really believe that he came as a tiny baby, was born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, died the death that we deserved, took the penalty that we deserved, and then was raised from the dead so that we can have hope of eternal life. If you've never believed in Jesus, start 2022 by trusting in him today. He is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your word, for the truth that is found in your word. God, the more I read your word, the more I realize how sinful I am. Lord, we just pray this morning and ask that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. 
that we might day by day more and more look more like you and less like this world. Help us, Father, to abstain from sexual immorality. Help us, Father, to live quietly, to mind our own affairs, to work hard with our hands, to stand out in a good way from the world around us. Lord, we love you. We ask that you might move among us and that we might respond in obedience. We ask all this in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit.